Hello and welcome to the second part of this podcast dedicated to the great Indian cricketer of the golden age, K.S. Ranjit Singhji. My guest is Simon Wilde, cricket correspondent for the Sunday Times, whose biography, Ranji, the strange genius of Ranjit Singhji, is the basis of our discussion. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the Golden Age of Cricket podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Now, now back to his uh, his actual batting and his style and his approach to batsmanship. Uh, one thing which is uh, very apparent reading your book is, uh, you know, you go into details about his um, certainly his more successful innings. But what struck me was just how he tended to dominate the strike. Um, and just by way of example, you know, often you would say that he had a partnership of. 150 uh, with batsman uh, X, but Ranji actually hit 130 of those runs. He seemed to have this ability, uh, and I think I'm correct in saying that certainly for that age, he hit a lot of boundaries, and we've touched on it already. Maybe it was the, you know, these new strokes that he brought in, like the leg glance, for example, which confused a lot of the fielding teams. and he just seemed to be someone who loved facing the cricket ball. And so he would hit boundaries to retain the strike, which was very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think this was, you know, just a clever tactic on his part, a very smart tactic, or was there something greater at play? Was he uh, living up to his princely manner perhaps and having a sense of entitlement? Um, yeah, possibly. I think I think the key was that, um, because he had opened up the leg side of the field, he could basically score all around the wicket. I mean, this now in the modern era, we you know we know all about players sitting three and you know we talk about three hundred and sixty degree batsmen; they can hit mm. it anywhere. But in those days, the, a lot of the field was not uh, available to them in a way they didn't think to to score uh, towards fine leg, you know, off your hips in the same way. That wasn't that wasn't done so much, I don't think. So once he once he Developed an all-round game. Uh, I, he could find the gaps in the field. They couldn't. They, there's the, the opposing captains will suddenly find they haven't got enough fielders for Ranji. You know, he, they needed 15 men rather than 11. Um, so he could find the gaps. He could hit the boundaries. <clears throat> he was. He, he was. A, if you're. A, if you're an all-round, if you can score all around the wicket, then it becomes very hard to set a field. So I think that probably explains the, the his ability to hit so many boundaries, which was certainly the case. He was prolific boundary hitter. I mean, not so much yes. sixes in those days, though you couldn't hit sixes unless you hit it right out of the ground. So we're talking about That's fours, right. but or fives, yes. Beginnings had a lot yeah, a lot of lot of fours. Um, so I'd, I'd say that was one of the explanations for that. Let's let's talk about um, his only international test tour. I think he made a tour to uh, to the USA at one point, but his only test tour was that to Australia in 1897-98, where it's fair to say he had an uneasy relationship with the public and the press. Um, I mean, I think it started off uh, in a bit of a rocky way. I think the New South Wales government had to change their policy about letting a non-white person into the colony. Um, But then there were some intriguing incidents that were played out in the press. Uh, Ernie Jones, who was the fast Australian 
in South Australian bowler was called for throwing um, in England's match versus South Australia. And in one of his articles, Ranji uh, tended to agree with the umpire, which didn't go down too well with the locals, as you'd expect. Um, and that then was all the the Adelaide press, South Australian press, retaliated by claiming that Ranji didn't have the right to play for England as a non-white player. Um, what do you make of all this, Simon? I mean, it's his first tour to Australia, and he seems to be, you know, rocking the apple cart. Was this indicative of who Ranji was? I think it was. Um, I mean, this is a tricky one. I, the Australian crowds uh, then, and some would say still. Um, like to express their opinion at a, at a match. And I think this was quite, diff- that was quite different to how English crowds behaved. I mean, not saying that English crowds were, were perfect at all, but mm. there was a definite, if you, if you, if you read the, you know, the accounts of English cricketers going to Australia, the, the story is, is quite consistent about this, that they get, English cricketers got quite upset at some of the heckling that they got and the, and the sort of um, feedback from the crowd. You know, Andrew Stoddart, the captain of the one tour that Ranji went on, he got very upset by some of his treatment from the locals. And also the local press as well. The criticism could be quite harsh. And really, Australia was the only country that England toured um, where, in a, in a way, things mattered. They, there were tours, early tours of South Africa, but it was a far lower key uh, sort of environment and, and the local press, you know, the, the local press was not aggressive at all and then the locals in South Africa weren't I mean these were in South Africa South Africa was uh, an even newer younger country than Australia and a lot of the people that were there were English uh, people who just emigrated to take advantage of you know, the gold and the diamonds that were being found so it was a, it was sort of is another piece of England really whilst Australia had been had developed its own identity and was quite um, Rash, if you like, and so the English cricketers in general found that quite hard to deal with, particularly if they started losing. And this is what happened on the tour that Ranji went on. England lost four of the five Test matches. Um, so I think Ranji wasn't the only one in that team who found it a bit rough yes. going. Um, but the difference with Ranji was that he had agreed to write a series of pieces for an Australian uh, magazine, a sort of weekly periodical, I think. Um, and so he was expressing his own opinions about what was going on on a regular basis. And this stuff got read and it got quoted in the Australian papers. So he was, not again, not the first cricketer to find out that if you start you start writing stuff and complaining, then um, people notice and you'll get a bit of a bit of a fight back. Um, yeah. And yes, as you say, he, he supported the verdict on Ernie Jones's bowling. Was it legitimate or not? He didn't seem to think so. That didn't mm. go down well. He was probably a bit naive in what he was doing. He didn't know any better. He, you know, he was still quite young. He was 25 and yes. been to Australia before. You know, there's an all lots of things that other players have, have gone through as well happened to him. Um, but I think it was of a, of a piece, really, of the English cricketers complaining about quite a lot. You know, he complained about the flies in Adelaide and, you know, yeah. the heat and the travel. <laughs> and, but I think there was, on a more, uh, you know, more profound note, he probably did experience a bit of racism as well. As, I mean, he complained. Mm. In fact, one of the other England players, Jack Hearn, he kept a diary and he talked about Ranji in his diary, saying that Ranji was upset by Australians in general. He didn't. He didn't like them. You know, there was. I, I suspect he had a he had a bit of trouble on that front. But we don't really have the concrete evidence on that. But just it's just a sort of uh, 
guess, really, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. Um, but we have to say, at the same time, he, um, in a disastrous tour uh, for the English, he uh, did find some on-field success in that tour. I mean, he hit a blistering 175, I think, in the Sydney test, um, which was only his third test overall, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, as you say, it was a it was an overall disastrous test for England. Um, and he also, we should give him credit that he actually made a tour to Australia because some of the other amateurs of that time, C.B. Fry, his very good friend, and uh, and Stanley Jackson never made it to Australia. So, um Credit, credit to Ranji for actually uh, coming to Australia at least once as yeah. uh, as as an amateur. Yeah, and, he, and as you say, as you say, he he did do well, and he was mm. people people liked his batting. I mean, it was not it wasn't the case that the Australians as a whole didn't like him. I think they did. They they liked his cricket and they liked his style of play, and you know he was a very glamorous figure to them as he was to people in England as well. So. He was he was a sort of an attractive figure as well, but some of the things he said uh, caused some upset. But uh, interesting, he never went back, and I think uh, mm. you know there was subsequent Australian tours he could have gone on, um, and he didn't. And I think there was a feeling that he didn't want to go back after what had happened on on that particular trip. That he, right, he, he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't that uh, happy a time for him. Fair enough. Um, now, uh, something that is permeating all through um, his cricket career at this stage and continues to for a number of years, um, not known to the general public, but one that, uh, you know, uh, we now know through um, studying the history is that he had just all sorts of problems with his finances. He was constantly asking for his allowance from India to be increased um, and he was constantly being chased by creditors. Um, did he did he spend money because he thought he had to maintain this appearance of wealth, or or do you think he was just plain? Do you think he was just plain reckless? Yeah, it's a good question. It's an intriguing one. But I I suspect that he he wanted to behave like a prince. He had to keep up this um, the, the, this act, if you like, that he 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 was a he he was a a significant figure back in India. Nobody in England anyway knew otherwise. The British, some of the British um, civil servants would have known, and the people in government, particularly those who got to hear about him not paying his debts, would have known a bit more about what the true Ranji was like. But they would have probably also known what he was up to. I mean, it's not, it wasn't unknown for people not to pay their bills. You know, there was, he wasn't the only one behaving like that. Um, but I think it was his way of trying to act out a, a life of a, of a prince. And that was the way he could, in a way, convince ultimately the people who mattered, which was the the, the British um, government people, that he, he he did have a case. And and of course, I mean, there's a, there's a we can you could spend a long time talking about how come uh, the his the, the the young man who did become the new ruler in the the the, the young boy that was born and 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 basically leapfrogged Ranji in the in the succession list. Um, he, he took over in the early 1900s uh, after his father died, the man who nearly chosen Ranji. And then a couple of years later, he dies in mysterious circumstances. And um, a friend of Ranji who wrote a book, um, E.H.D. Sewell, who played for Essex, he was an amateur, 
he taught, he, he writes an interesting chapter about the rumors of uh, foul play and, and that this, this mm. young man was um, poisoned. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, you couldn't make it up really. Um, so, you know, it was a very convenient time that he died, this, uh, this, this chap, because Ranji really was hitting financial difficulties um, in, the, in the couple of years before that. And in fact, Ranji had stopped playing cricket in England uh, before he died. Uh, because he'd mm. gone back to India supposedly to further his claim. Well, hey presto, it happened. And um, then the British um, duly chose Ranji in his place because there was no obvious line of succession anymore. So the British had to get involved and help choose someone, and they they chose Ranji. They would have chosen Ranji partly because, in their eyes, he was he'd been trained up for the job. They knew what he was like. He was a sort of Effectively, an Anglo-Indian, really, um, in outlook, mm. he was well-educated, and and they knew, or they thought, that he would play by their rules. He would be obliging. They could deal with it. He was someone they could do business with, if you like. But of course, as it happens, he was somebody that, that nobody could do business with because he kept um, reneging on his bills. But um, they thought he was the best man available, and so they helped facilitate his accession. And that happened in 1907, um, when Ranji was sort of in his mid-thirties, and um, after that, he ruled for about 25 years. Yeah, and um, just taking a, a step back, um, I mean, it wasn't like he was at the peak of his uh, form when he just suddenly decided to uh, challenge for the throne. He did actually experience a quite a severe drop in form. I mean, he plays what turns out to be his last test match in 1902 uh, against the visiting Australians, but at county level, first class level, he has a um, really bad run of form and then he doesn't play any uh, first class cricket from 1905 to 1907 uh, and this is when he's staking his claim. Um, do you think this loss of form leading up to his ascension to the throne, do you think the form was directly related to the financial issues he was having and his plans to challenge for the throne? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, 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 the particularly striking, intriguing year was 1902, which was um, a famous year. Australia, Australians came over, Australia won the Ashes. Victor Trumper was at his height of his fame. It was a very wet summer. Pitches were difficult for scoring runs. So mm. no batsman, apart from Trumper, actually, really had a, had a good summer. Ranji didn't have a good summer. He struggled, and in the test matches he played, he, he was in. He, he he struggled really badly, and he was in no sort of form at all. Um, you could blame it partly on the pitches, but I think there were issues going on with his finances. In fact, we know it because there's some sort of documentary evidence of some cases that were going on at that time, and, and things really were getting a bit tricky for him financially and, and in terms of the legal cases against him. Um, and he drops. So what's interesting is that he drops out of cricket for about a month um, after. He's been dropped by England uh, after the fourth test, which England lose by three runs. It's a famous match, which is called Fred Tate's match because Fred Tate dropped a catch at the end. Yes, um, that um, was uh, towards the end of the game that was crucial uh, to the outcome. And then he was Fred Tate was last man out. Felt he was bold with England needing three to win. Or so mm. it was known as Fred Tate's match, but really it should be known as Ranji's match because Ranji did absolutely nothing in that game. And had he scored even <laughs> twenty, yeah. if he scored twenty-five in one innings, England would have won. Um, mm. But he, he he was a sort of shadow of himself, really. Um, and England dropped him for the final test, which 
equally famous game where Gilbert Chesser got a very fast 100 and England won by one wicket. Very exciting match. Ranji missed that game, never played for England again, uh, and just sort of disappeared really for several weeks. Um, and that seemed to be at a time when he, he really was in, in difficulties. Um, he played in 1903 and in 1904 for Sussex, on a, so running hot and cold really with his run scoring. And I think by that point, he'd almost got to the point where he realised that he had to do something about his situation, really. He, he couldn't carry on like this. He was, you know, he, he didn't, have any, didn't have any cash. And so he went back to India. And as I, just, as I already said, he, uh, the, the man who was on the throne died um, in mysterious circumstances. Um, and that opened the door to Ranji taking over. Um, so I think that... I know where cricket had served its purpose for him. It had given him fame, it had given him a significant status, um, and it was time, probably in his eyes, to to move on to other things. He couldn't, he can't keep playing forever. Um, so I think there was a the, his focus on cricket was was waning, and his form was waning. Yeah, but as you uh, as you allude to there, he would just come and go. Like I think he returned for some matches in 1908 and then again in 1912. Um, and then perhaps most remarkably, as a 47-year-old in 1920, he returns uh, to play just three first-class matches for Sussex. Um, and this is after he's lost his right eye in a hunting accident. As you say, he was always off hunting. Um, and... At this stage, he's lost all his form. He plays three matches and scores a total of 39 runs at an average of just nine. Um, what were the factors behind him coming back in 1920? Um, were there, was there something else at play here? I think it was... I don't think, I don't think particularly. I think it was just a... It was almost a sort of a vanity thing. Could he still do it? You know, he wanted to know. Forty-seven, highly unlikely. Um, he's only got one eye. I mean, you know, why did he? Why did he allow himself to be persuaded that it might be a good idea? It seems, it seems rather pathetic, really, that he, he should mm. try. And I'm unsurprising that he failed, really. But you know, it was 1920, and there'd been a lot of you know. Cricket had started in England after the war in 1919. So this was only the second summer post-war. And there were a lot of people who were playing cricket in those early seasons after the uh, war was over that were, you know, sort of injured, you know, mentally, God knows what some of them were like. But people returned to cricket. You know, in a way, he wasn't the only sort of damaged person who was coming back to... I mean, he wasn't injured in the war. As you say, he was injured in a shooting accident. But he was... He wasn't the only one who was trying to get returned to a, a, a normal life after after, mm. after the, the horrors of the war, and I, and so he, he wasn't maybe quite as unusual as it sounded. Then you know there was, I mean, bizarrely there was there was a guy who played for Northamptonshire who had who had one leg, you know, he had a wooden leg and he played cricket. Yeah. Again, didn't work. Yeah. This is what this is sort of what happened, and mm. I I don't think there was anything in it other than. You know, he thought he'd give it a go, um, and, it, and, it, yeah. and it, didn't, it didn't work out. But it's a, it's a rather sort of sad way for his, his, his career to end. Really, it would have mm. been better, better if he had. I, there wasn't, there wasn't, there isn't much record of him playing it, sort of even recreational cricket after the First World War. It, it really was a one-off. 
Yeah. It, we, we could pro- probably also suggest that it was done out of, uh, you know, helping to boost morale for, a, for uh, the English public after the First World War. I mean, I think C.B. Fry played for a few seasons as well, even though his best was probably behind him. Uh, I think a few of the so-called golden age players in Australia did the same. Clem Hill played some first-class matches in the 1920s as well. Um, and he was certainly, you know, of an age where it probably wasn't uh, expected of him. Um, so that was perhaps another another factor. Simon, uh, I just want to, uh, we have touched on it already, but um, I just want to touch again on uh, racism with Ranjit Sinji um, because he was playing uh, cricket in Victorian England um, and it seems like they had a very interesting relationship with him and the colour of his skin. Um, I've just got this quote from a former English cricketer, R.H. Littleton, who in 1899 wrote, and I quote, the English public is a curious one, and one of its peculiarities is its readiness to deify a cricketer, all the more because he is not an Englishman and is of a different colour. They would have admired Ranjit Sinji as a white batsman, but they worshipped him because he is black. Was um, was Ranji uh, subject to racism as we know it today? Yeah, well, that's that's the that's the big question, really, isn't it? Um, we we only have anecdotal evidence, really, a very small amounts of evidence that this was the case. Uh, I mean, England were England were were well, some areas of English cricket were reluctant that he should ever play for the English national team. I mean, he wasn't born in England, obviously. He 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 was he became an English cricketer because he played the English county system, um, and this. This made him eligible. I mean, there, there were no strict rules um, in terms of who is eligible for a test team. That, that, in fact, those rules were introduced about ten years later, and it was agreed that you had to have either been born in a particular country or you'd lived there for, I think, four years, something like that. Um, and Ranji would have qualified under that sort of second basis in living in England for more than four years. So, um, but at the time, he was a, you know, he he presented a challenge to the English authorities, which they'd not really faced before um and in 1896 when he played his first test matches the system that applied was that the host um, ground <clears throat> the ground that hosted the test match their committee would pick the team so england didn't have a selection panel in 1896 so when the match was at old trafford in, La- in lancashire the lancashire committee decided whether he he or anyone else would be in the team when he was at lords the mcc committee decided and so on sorry if it was at the oval sorry would decide and in fact, uh, the MCC committee decided that he wouldn't play the first test of that summer, but the Lancashire committee decided that he would play the second test of the summer. And that's when he got his 100 that we've talked about. Um, so is that was that was the MCC committee being racist in terms of um, leaving him out? Did they did they frown upon him because he was not white? You know, we, we don't really know. It's probably suspicion that there was a, that was an element of um, the uh, the decision and the, the 
there are there are some stories of um, when he, when Randy got his hundred for England um, at Old Trafford that summer um, that there were people at Lords who criticised him even being allowed. They, they still weren't happy, even though he scored a hundred for England. They were not happy that he played, and it was because of his colour. <laughs> um, so yeah. th- there is there is evidence. There is some circumstantial evidence to support that idea, and I'm I'm sure it would it, it would be the case. It, it, it's hard to imagine it wouldn't be. But I should think that it's often a, it's often about class as much as um, anything. Some classes would accept him better than others. Um, some mm. people of a certain background would accept him better than others. Um, I, I I think he did, I think he did experience racism and he dealt with it pretty well. Really, he navigated his way through the British social system didn't he pretty well and ended mm-hmm. up somewhere near the top you know by by the time Edward the seventh was on the throne Ranji was going shooting with him you know so he, he, mm. he didn't it didn't, didn't stop him mixing with the with the with the top brass in the country that's for sure no he uh he seems like a you know a very resilient character actually and um you know considering what he achieved in that time uh, is quite extraordinary really um well, let's uh, let's turn to a happier subject, uh, Simon. Let's look at his statistics, and I'm just going to read through some numbers. Feel free to jump in uh, at any point. Um, but uh, we've spoken already about uh, you know when he made his debut and his his final first class match and Test match. But the numbers are really interesting. Um, I'll just <laughs> uh, we only ever talk of uh, Ranjit Singhji, the batsman, but I'll quickly go over his bowling because it's not insignificant uh, at a first class level um he took 133 wickets uh for 4601 runs um it was an average of 34.59 but his best bowling was 6 for 53 um which is not bad but at a test level he only took one test wicket um so his figures are one for 23 um, at an average of 39. Um, this is, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Simon, but do you know, this is a pub trivia sort of uh, question. Do you know who Ranji's only test victim was? Uh, I don't. I'm hoping you'll tell me. <laughs> well, I <laughs> I had no idea and it, it is one of those very random questions, but anyone listening will then be able to tell their friends. Uh, it was JJ Kelly, the Australian wicketkeeper, um, uh, and I think he had him caught behind, I think. Um, I'm sure someone listening will be able to correct me, but there you go if anyone wants to... Uh, Uh, use that as a uh, a conversation starter Um, but turning our attention to his batting which of course is what he's remembered for so he played um, 15 test matches which actually seems quite few even for that time considering how famous he was Um, he batted 26 times four not outs um, didn't quite make a thousand runs he hit 989 his highest score was 175, which we spoke of, was that famous innings at Sydney, his uh, only tour to Australia. And he uh, he finished with two centuries and six half centuries with an average of 44.95. Um, not surprisingly, his first-class statistics are 
uh, even more impressive. So 307 matches, uh, 500 exactly um, t- uh, times he went to the wicket. Um, he had, let's see, he scored 24,692 runs, highest score of 285, not out. And he had uh, a batting average of 56. Point three seven, having scored seventy two centuries. A um, couple of things to note here, Simon, is that that average, first class average of fifty six point three seven, as you note in your book, was actually the best uh, completed career batting average of any English batsman uh, until Geoffrey Boycott broke it uh, in nineteen eighty six. Uh, so he had a you know, he had his name at the top of the list for a very long time. Um, um, what else have I noted here? Um, oh, yes, keeping in uh, what I was talking about earlier about how fast he scored his runs, um, he scored in first-class cricket 11 pre-lunch session uh, centuries, I suppose, meaning he took his score from whatever it was, say 44, to past 144 before lunch, which is just extraordinary. And he did it on 11 occasions. Um, and finally, and this statistic was one I noted uh, last year, uh, Ranji's name appeared in the news when uh, Harry Brook, the young English batsman, uh, beat his 125-year record of having scored the most runs in the first six innings of a test career. So uh, we've already noted how Ranji really uh, took to test cricket immediately with his uh, century on debut and then 175 in Sydney. He scored uh, 418 runs in his first six innings and Harry Brook beat him uh, with 436. So there you go. Ranji is still making headlines uh, a century later. Um Uh, Simon, I just want to finish uh, the podcast talking about uh, Ranji's legacy. Um, He's known today as sort of the father of Indian cricket, I suppose. Um, And the Indian Red Bull domestic competition is named after him. Um, Is he still revered today in cricket circles, both in India and abroad? Um. Yes, he is. Um, I think the the, the Ranji Trophy is, is, is. I mean, it's great that he's his his name lives on in the Indian domestic competition. You know, more, um, almost a hundred years since he since he died. Um, that's you know, it's, it's quite a quite a quite a thing, really. Um, I mean, his 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 status in India is slightly ambiguous because as one of the one of the princely rulers. He was he was against Indian independence. The the prince the princely rulers as, as a group want, wanted to carry on with the system that they've got, where Brit, mm. British ran a large part of India and the rest was run by them. Understandably, um, independence stripped them of power really, and they were given they were given sort of financial um, guarantees about their future. You know, they, they were their palaces were not all taken away from them, but they. Politically, they lost all their power in 1947. Ranji had died by then, but he knew the, the wind was blowing towards independence into, in, in, by the 1920s. And then, obviously, Gandhi's um, movement um, made it a very live issue. Um, 
Ranji was against all that. So, in a way, in you know, modern, independent, vibrant India does not look back on the princes particularly kindly. Um, so there's a slightly ambiguous st uh, status to him, um, but he's revered as a cricketer, and as we say, you know, they still call their domestic tournament after him. So that's a that's a, that's a that's a pretty big thing, really. So um, yeah, he, you know, his name his name does live on live on, and considering how long ago he played, that that's that's a significant thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, and finally, Simon, uh, what do you think uh, Ranji would have thought of modern cricket? Uh, my feeling is he would have assimilated to T20 cricket quite easily with his mm. uh, rapid scoring and his habit of inventing uh, stroke, uh, stroke play. Uh, but was he also an upholder of the uh, traditions of the game? Um. Yes, yes, he was. I mean, he, 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 I don't think he was particularly. I mean, he died shortly after Bodyline, um, literally you know, within weeks of the end of that tour. Um, but he was not. I don't think he was particularly in favour. But I mean, he was. You know, he was. He was think he was viewing it from a long distance. He hadn't watched it in person. So, um, yes, I think so. But he would have. He was a traditionalist. Uh, but he, having said that, uh, as we've discussed, he invented new cricket strokes, and he would have, you know, if he was watching, if he was here now watching a T20 game, his answer, his response would be, "I told you you could score around the wicket, and that's now what all the best players do. <laughs> They're doing exactly yeah. what I did. Uh, you know, I told you that 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 was the way to go. You know, um, you know, I was playing T20 cricket before you got thought of it. So." I think yes. that would sort of be his attitude, and that would—that's sort of his legacy, really. That he was the first guy to to come up with this sort of um, this sort of stuff, and um, you know that that, that in, a, in a way is his is is his greatest legacy. You know, never mind all the stats and the rest of it. He's um, it's it's the way he looked at a cricket field and decided he, where he could score. That was he was the first one to see see the potential. That's a good point, um, and I also think he would have enjoyed the money associated with modern <laughs> cricket. He would have, uh, it would have uh, stopped a lot of heartache for him. That's for sure. He would have paid uh, paid a lot of bills, wouldn't it? It would have, yes. Um, well, Simon, thank you so much for uh, joining the podcast. I hope my listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, you know, revisiting, uh, hearing you revisit uh, Ranjit Singhji after all these years. I appreciate you. Uh, delving into the memory bank it's been uh, most enjoyable so thank you thank you that's all from me please remember to follow or subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform my name is Tom Ford and until next time it's bye for now yeah.